My name is Kelly Swales, and I'm one of the hosts for Inside the Lab. This is a special episode of our podcast based on an annual meeting 2023 session titled Emerging Biomarkers for the Assessment of Alzheimer's Disease. The link for the slide set of this session is available in the podcast description as well as the learning management system if you choose to collect CME CMLE credit. Speaking of which, CME and CMLE will be available for listening to this podcast in the ASCP store. The American Society for Clinical Pathology is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. ASCP designates this enduring material for a maximum of one AMA PRA Category 1 credit Physicians should only claim credit commiserate with their extent of the participation in the activity. This activity is funded by an independent educational grant from Lilly. My name is Jerry Wong. I'm from Duke. I have dual affiliation with the Departments of Pathology and Departments of Neurology. I'm a neuropathologist by training. I run the Neuropathology Corps of the Duke and UNC Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. So first of all, this session is supported by an independent educational grant from Lilly. So thank you very much for the grant support. By way of disclosure, I have no financial relationships with ineligible companies to disclose. Alzheimer's disease is a clinical pathological entity that is characterized clinically by a multi-domain amnestic syndrome, meaning the, the most significant findings are loss of memory, and which gradually affects other domains of cognitive function as well, leading to an inability to take care of oneself for daily activities. It is confirmed at death by the presence of Alzheimer's disease neuropathologic changes. And as you all probably know, Alzheimer's disease pathology is characterized by amyloid plaques, which are visualized by amyloid beta immunohistochemistry, and also by intracellular neurofibrillary tangles. The extent to which clinical syndromes can be explained by AD neuropathologic change is determined by the extent of amyloid plaque and neurofibrillary tangle pathology. So there are a couple of different measures. So the thaw phase looks at the spread, the extent that the brain is affected by amyloid plaques. The CRAT score is a semi-quantitative score to look at the density of plaques in each brain region. And Brock stage is to evaluate how much of the brain is affected by neurofibrillary tangles. So these two hallmark pathologies have a somewhat opposite pattern of progression. So amyloid plaques first appear in the cerebral cortex, then they spread into the hippocampus and some of the internal structures, and lastly, they spread into the brainstem and cerebellum. Whereas neurofibrillary tangles first appear in the brainstem, they spread to the hippocampus and then throughout the cerebral cortex. So over time, the distinction between AD as a clinical syndrome and AD as a clinical pathological entity becomes blurred. So the problem is sometimes when we talk about AD, we're actually referring to someone with amnestic syndrome, which may or may not have autopsy-proven AD neuropathological changes. But the relationship between clinical presentation and neuropathology is not always straightforward. There is a need to define what is a preclinical stage of Alzheimer's disease. There is a need to identify patients for disease-modifying therapies and to enroll in clinical trials. And from an academic standpoint, there is a need to understand what are the early changes of AD. 
And thus comes the role of biomarkers that will help us diagnose patients AD in life. So the discordance uh, between clinical syndrome and autopsy findings are well recognized. So here is the estimated prevalence of persons living with dementia with age. So if you look at the projection, in those that are over 90, there's about almost 50% of them will have dementia. However, the real prevalence of dementia plateaus. So at 90 to 100 years of age, the actual percentage of autopsy-proven Alzheimer's disease plateaus at around 30%. So it doesn't reach the 50%. So what is accounting for the gap? So there are other pathologies that can cause similar dementia, like Lewy body disease, some uh, frontal temporal dementias, and TDP43 pathology. And of course, the most common pathology of dementia is really mixed pathology, a mixture of AD, vascular pathologies, and perhaps a little bit of TDP43 and Lewy bodies. So in other words, 10 to 30% of individuals diagnosed with AD dementia by experts do not have sufficient AD neuropathologic change at autopsy. So there is a discordance. Also, it's long been recognized that 30 to 40% of cognitively unimpaired elderly persons can have AD neuropathologic changes at autopsy. So this is data from two very well-respected, very solid community-based cohorts run by Rush. One is the Religious Order Study. The other is MAP memory aging community study. And there they show that about 30 to 40% of people without dementia already have Brock stage 4 or 5 neurofibrillary tangles. So which means that the tangles have already spread. At stage 4, it's already spread to much of the cortex. And 5, there's pretty dense neurofibrillary tangles, sparing only the occipital cortex. So in most people, that would be enough to cause dementia. But in some people, it seems that they are they have uh, resilience. So there is a discordance. And then I think most importantly, because of the recent development in these disease-modifying therapies, especially uh, we're getting pretty promising results from... So aducanumab and lecanabab are already F- FDA-approved. There's also pretty promising results coming from denanumab. So these therapies show a modest to moderate effect at slowing progression of dementia in persons who have mild cognitive impairment. So it becomes really important to be able to find people who actually have amyloid deposits early on before they show very severe symptoms. Let's go to the poll question number one. So before we, we get into the actual talk about um, biomarkers, so what are some examples of AD biomarkers that you know of currently used for AD diagnosis. It could be either imaging or fluid. So NIA, National Institutes of Aging and Alzheimer's Association, they set forth in 2018 a research framework for biomarker grouping and classification of patients along the Alzheimer's continuum. And this framework is called the ATN framework. So A stands for amyloid plaques, T stands for tau, and N stands for neurodegeneration. And based on our understanding of neuropathology, the presence of plaques and tangles are essential components of Alzheimer's disease. They may not be the cause, but they are essential features. So therefore, biomarkers that detect plaques and tangles are essential for diagnosis of AD. Now, 
biomarkers for end neurodegeneration or neuronal injury, um, they are not specific for AD and can be caused by other neurodegenerative diseases as well as stroke or traumatic brain injury. And for that reason, N is put in parentheses, meaning it's not one of the essential markers for AD. It's not specific. However, the degree of neurodegeneration is important for understanding the extent of damage caused by AD and whether there are there may be other coexisting pathologies. And this will become clear later in the talk. So biomarkers that detect A, T, or N are considered core biomarkers of AD. So biomarkers that detect amyloid include CSF A-beta peptide 42 or A-beta 42-40 ratio or amyloid PLET. So what are we really detecting? So to give a brief review of the biochemistry, so amyloid beta exists, the precursor protein is a normal protein of neurons. It's a transmembrane protein that can undergo cleavage at different sites. So there are some pathways that lead to cleavage of tiny fragments that do not form amyloid aggregates. However, there are other cleavage pathways that generate two peptide fragments, one with 42 amino acids, one with 40. So the A-beta 42 and A-beta 40 are considered amyloidogenic peptides. These are the ones that form aggregates and form the amyloid plaques. So what we're trying to detect is these highly amyloidogenic peptides, A-beta 42 and A-beta 40. And curiously, it's actually in the CSF when a person has Alzheimer's disease, A-beta 42 actually decreases. So why does it decrease? We don't know for sure. But the thinking, current thinking is that because it is accumulating in the brain, so, so it's not been able to be washed out into the CSF. So actually, when it starts accumulating in the brain, you see a decrease in A-beta 42. And also, A-beta 42, A-beta 40 ratio should be decreased. Okay, so that's somewhat anti-intuitive. And for tau biomarkers, what we're detecting is the phosphorylated form of tau. And so this is a result from recent mass spec. So people have detected many, many different phosphorylation sites on tau protein. Again, tau is a normal protein that's in every neuron. And normally, it's a soluble protein. It doesn't, it's essential for neuronal function. However, in pathologic conditions, it gets phosphorylated at these various sites. And it's really the phosphorylated form that will form aggregates that turn into neurofibrillary tangles. So what we are trying to detect is really the phosphorylated form of tau. Okay, so most commonly tau phosphorylation at the 181 site. And also for imaging, we can use tau PET. To detect neurodegeneration, we're using total tau or FDG PET, look at the FDG uptake, or using anatomic MRI to look at the atrophy of, of different brain structures. So the combinations of AT and N biomarkers define categories along the Alzheimer's continuum, as well as non-AD pathologic changes. So what we mean is that if a person comes in with no amyloid, no tau, no neurodegeneration, then it, that this person has normal AD biomarkers. A, amyloid is the first thing that can be detected in AD. So a person with A+, plus with amyloid, no tau or no neurodegeneration 
we think that this represents someone in the very early stages of AD. This we call Alzheimer's pathologic change. And this is somewhat of a contentious issue. I'm just going to throw it out because this is the NIAA guideline that was published in 2018. The reason that this category is controversial is because there are plenty of people, older individuals, that will have amyloid plaques, but probably they will never develop dementia. So whether to call these people really early Alzheimer's, there's still some debate. Maybe they will never develop dementia. Maybe they will. We don't have very solid data. Now, when a person has both amyloid and tangles, whether or not it's N positive, whether or not there's neurodegeneration, we know that it's already Alzheimer's disease. Now, if a person has A plus, there's amyloid, but there's no tau, but there's neurodegeneration, then what does that mean? So that means that there is Alzheimer's and also an early Alzheimer's, but also another neurodegenerative disease that is contributing to the neuronal injury. So that's Alzheimer's and concomitant suspected non-Alzheimer's pathologic change. Now, in the bottom three situations where a person has no amyloid, then that is a non-AD situation. So all of these, whether it's there's tau or not, whether there's neurodegeneration or not, we consider it as non-AD pathologic change. So that's the ATN framework in a nutshell. So let's look at some examples. So, so I'm going to show you pictures of PET imaging. Just because it's easier to understand, and most of the PET markers came out a little earlier than the CSF or the other fluid markers, but I know for this audience, probably the fluid biomarkers will be more relevant. However, let's start with the PET and give you some examples. So in this individual, you see that there, so the, on PET, if there is accumulation of these substance, then it will show up as red. So they pseudocolor it as red. So in this individual, the amyloid PET shows accumulation of amyloid. The tau PET, you can tell that in the temporal lobe, which is where tau pathology starts, there's already some accumulation. There's less accumulation in other areas of the cerebral cortex. So there's also abnormal tau. And then the anatomic MRI shows atrophy, severe, pretty severe atrophy. So this is a person who is A+, plus, T+, plus, and M+, plus, and so this is Alzheimer's disease. So now this is another situation. Okay, this person has accumulation of amyloid on amyloid PET, so it's abnormal amyloid, but the tau PET is pretty cold. So apart from a little little bit. We don't really know what that is. So overall, there's not much tau. So it's considered normal. And MRI looks pretty good. Volume, cerebral cortex looks good. The brain volume looks good. So it's no atrophy on MRI. And so this person is A plus, T minus, N minus. So that's considered Alzheimer's pathologic change. And that, although contentious, this may represent a preclinical stage of AD. Okay, now another example. So here, a person has a lot of amyloid. So it's abnormal amyloid PET. The tau PET is pretty cold. So normal tau PET. But if you look at the MRI, there is very severe atrophy, particularly in the hippocampus. 
hippocampus is severe atrophy. So there is severe atrophy are on MRI. So what does this represent? So it's A plus, T minus, but N plus. So there is neurodegeneration, suggesting that it is Alzheimer's disease with concomitant non-Alzheimer's pathologic change. So this is a condition which is can be commonly seen. In the past, it was called hippocampal atrophy, meaning that there is severe atrophy of the hippocampus. Now we know that in many of these cases, it's caused by accumulation of another protein called TDP43. So now there is an acronym called LATE, so limbic predominant age-related TDP43 encephalopathy. And that is to capture these patients that have TDP43 in the amygdala and hippocampus. So that is how how imaging biomarkers are used. So so now I'm going to just review some papers to show that that these markers are predictive. For instance, there is a large study where they looked at individuals who have who do not have cognitive decline, uh, who have who are cognitively normal, but they have abnormal PET biomarkers, and they show that the imaging biomarkers can predict cognitive decline. So, for instance, this is from two different studies. So, in those who have in these survival curves, you can see that in those who are A positive and T positive, um, they show a much sharper decline in cognitive function, a, a faster progression to mild cognitive impairment compared to those that are A minus, T minus, or even those that are A plus, T minus, meaning they have only amyloid and not no tau. And so, so now this can be raised as an argument of whether A plus, T minus really represents early amyloid, but I think that's beyond the scope of this talk. Okay, and then another large study from two different cohorts also showed pretty much similar situation where they also divided up in some cases T plus they they divided into those that have T primarily in the temporal cortex and those that have tau throughout the cortex and you can see the bottom two curves are the ones that are A plus T plus they show a much faster decline from cognitive normal to mild cognitive impairment another way to look at it is to look at the hazard ratio and you can see that the ones that individuals that have amyloid and tau have a much higher risk of developing into malcognitive impairment, which shows you that these imaging biomarkers can be used in a real-life situation where a person may not have shown, may not have cognitive impairment yet, but it can be used to predict the progression of the disease. But there are certain limitations to imaging biomarkers. And <clears throat> first of all, it is expensive. PET is expensive, and it requires substantial technical infrastructure. And then the use of radioactive tracers is concerned for some people. So in recent years, there has been a real push for using imaging biomarkers. So a few few words about imaging. So imaging measures represent the magnitude of abnormal protein deposition or damage accumulated over time. And it really does reflect the neuropathologic load. So if you see like the, the amyloid proteins on tau pet, that, that is how much amyloid there is in the brain on neuropathology. Same for the degree of atrophy and the degree of tau. However, fluid biomarkers are dynamic. They reflect a balance between abnormal protein production and clearance at a given time point. So the interpretation can be a little more difficult. For instance, in people who have 
amyloid beta deposition, the A beta 42 actually goes down, but it also plateaus at certain point. Same is true for tau. The increase in CSF tau will also plateau at certain points. It's not like imaging where it gets, it keeps accumulating. So imaging and fluid biomarkers can show discordance. Okay, so as I mentioned, CSF phospho tau plateaus in later stage AD, but tau PET signal continues to increase. So this is just to keep in mind the interpretation of fluid biomarkers is a little bit more difficult sometimes. So almost all the current fluid biomarkers, they rely on some sort of ultrasensitive detection method, whether it's an electrochemiluminescent SAMOA, which is a single molecular array. Basically, they use some kind of magnetic bead to capture what they claim is single molecules, and that can really increase the sensitivity of detection. There's also immunoprecipitation followed by mass spec. So almost all the current methods require some sort of more advanced, sophisticated, ultrasensitive detection. So since amyloid beta, the imaging biomarkers pretty much came first. So that became sort of a gold standard for evaluating these CSF biomarkers. So here it's showing that the CSF A-beta-42, A-beta-40 ratio correlates with amyloid PET. So those with higher amyloid PET will have lower A-beta-42, A-beta-40 ratio. And this is another way of looking at it. This is a ROC curve looking at the trade-off between sensitivity and specificity. So anything, if it's above 0.8, then it's good. And here you can see that the area under curve for A-beta-42-40 ratio is 0.93. So it's really very good, very accurate. Okay, so other studies have shown that CSF total tau and phospho tau correlate with tau PET. You can see like um, the higher CSF tau is, higher signal on tau PET. There is a positive correlation here. Also, CSF A-beta-42 also correlate with tau PET. So even though they are measuring different things, they seem to capture the pathologic process quite consistently. So a note about CSF total tau. So I, I mentioned that tau is a normal protein that's important for neuronal function. And it's really the phosphorylated form that that's being aggregated and forms the neurofibrillary tangles. Multiple studies have shown that CSF total tau level correlates pretty well with the phospho tau level. So why do we really need total tau? What, what does total tau really measure? So, so it turns out that the total tau is really not a specific marker for neurofibrillary tangles because it can be increased in many, many different situations. For instance, the level of total tau is increased in Alzheimer's disease, but it's also increased most noticeably in VAD, vascular brain injuries. So, and here, this is another, another uh, paper that shows that CSF total tau so on the left is total tau. This is in a group of patients that have stroke. You can see that the CSF total tau increases transiently after stroke. However, the phospho tau doesn't show an increase. So what total tau really is measuring is the degree of neuronal injury. And what happens is that tau is a normal protein in axons. So when there is, whenever there is neuronal injury, it can leak out into the CSF. So total tau is not a measure of neurofibrillary tangles. It is a measure of neuronal injury. 
So most of the more established biomarkers are cerebrospinal fluid, but of course, CSF requires a spinal tap, so it is somewhat more invasive. So it would be really nice to have plasma biomarkers. And so that's what people have been developing. And with considerable success, the same kind of markers can be detected in the plasma, and it just requires some more sensitive methods. Here it's showing that the plasma A-beta-42 and A-beta-40 ratio is also different. It also shows pretty good concordance with amyloid PET imaging. The AUC area under the curve, although not as high as CSF, which, which is over 0.9, um, it's still 0.84. And if we know the age or the APOE4 status of the individual, it approaches 0.88. So it is pretty good and pretty reliable. Okay, another established plasma biomarker is PTAL181. Many studies have shown that PTAL181 can differentiate older individuals that are cognitively normal versus those with Alzheimer's disease. And the area under the curve is also pretty good, over 90, over 0.9. And this is just another study showing that it is PTAL 181 is increased in older individuals with mild cognitive impairment as well as Alzheimer's disease dementia. And this is some of our own data. Um, this is a collaboration with another lab at NCCU, Ben Shi's lab, and Andy Liu from Duke Neurology. This is our own in-house samples. And we looked at using uh, PTAL1A81 using SAMOA, single molecular array. We could detect differentiate between those that are cognitively normal versus those with mild cognitive impairment and AD quite well, both in the plasma and CSF. So in the plasma, in, in the CSF, it's uh, 0.85 and 0.87. And the plasma is a little lower, but still pretty good, especially for detecting normal versus AD. It's almost 0.9. Okay, so it's 0.89. For differentiating normal versus mild cognitive impairment, it's a little bit more challenging because these people are in their earlier stages of AD. So mild cognitive impairment means that there is some cognitive impairment that's detectable by clinical testing, but it doesn't affect their daily lives. Okay, so, so it's 0.8. And then there's this large study comparing from WashU, comparing different methods and looking at different phosphorylation sites, different methods. And so the conclusion is the spectrometry seems to be the best method, and PTAL 217 seems to trump other phosphorylation sites. But all of them are, are pretty good, and this is still up to debate. There are some people who are in the mass spec camp, some people in the immunodetection, like ELISA, Samoa camp. So, so I think the jury is still out. And it's just, um, just to show you that this is an area that is rapidly evolving. So really, the whole field is really moving from imaging to CSF biomarkers, and eventually, I think, we'll be moving to plasma bio, blood-based biomarkers. So this is from a recommendation from NIAAA. So basically, the current state is blood biomarkers are recommended for screening in clinical trials or in specialized memory clinics but they need to be confirmed by PET or CSF biomarkers whenever possible. So 
So PET imaging and CSF is still considered the gold standard at this point. There are additional studies required to establish the best plasma biomarker combinations versus PET or CSF biomarkers. And also because plasma biomarkers, it's detecting tau or amyloid in the periphery. So presumably it will be affected by other peripheral diseases. So additional studies are required to examine the potential confounders, such as peripheral neuropathies, the BMI, kidney disease, liver disease, how the clearance of these, because they can presumably affect the clearance of different proteins in your blood. And then we need more real-world studies in diverse and representative populations before plasma biomarkers or blood-based biomarkers become the gold standard. Okay, so just to give a review, the core biomarkers, according to the ATN framework, include biomarkers that detect amyloid beta. In the CSF, it's A-beta-42 peptide or A-beta-42 over 40 ratio and amyloid PET. For detection of tau, it's phospho-tau-181 or tau-PET. And for detection of neurodegeneration, the core biomarker is total tau or anatomic MRI, or FDG-PET. Okay, so let's look at some questions. So a cognitively normal 65-year-old man comes with abnormal amyloid PET, a normal CSF P-TAL-181, and normal CSF total tau. So what is the most likely diagnosis? So it's an abnormal amyloid, so A plus normal CSF tau, T minus, normal total tau, N minus. The majority choose Alzheimer's pathologic change slash preclinical AD. So, so that is correct. So this is just like this situation that I showed earlier. Somebody with, even though I, I'm replacing imaging with CSF markers, but it's basically A plus. The person has amyloid, no tau, no neurodegeneration. So it's a someone on the Alzheimer's continuum with Known pathologic change, but really preclinical AD. Okay, so whole question number three. So a 91-year-old woman with severe amnestic dementia shows up with low CSF A-beta 42-40 ratio, normal CSF P-tau 181, and severe medial temporal lobe atrophy on anatomical MRI. What is your diagnosis? So low CSF A-beta 42-40 ratio means it's A+. plus. There's amyloid, normal CSFP-tau, but severe temporal lobe atrophy. The most likely diagnosis is AD, of early AD, uh, with coexisting late, limbic predominant age-related TDP43 encephalopathy, right? So this is just like this situation here. Someone with a lot of amyloid, very little tau, but with very severe hippocampal atrophy. A plus, T minus, N plus. So Alzheimer's with a concomitant non-Alzheimer's pathologic change. Okay, next question. Which of the following are not considered core AD biomarkers? The ones that we haven't talked about are not the core AD biomarkers. Okay, so amyloid PET is for A, P-tau-181 is for T, and total T-tau, total tau is for N. Okay, so GFAP and SNAP-25, which we haven't talked about, these are biomarkers that people have been developing, and there is some success, but these are not core AD biomarkers. Okay, but they do reflect some kind of neuropathologic change. So what do they reflect? 
So SNAP25 is a member of the SNARE proteins important for fusion of synaptic vesicles to the presynaptic membrane. So it is a protein that is localized, important for synaptic function. So, so as we know, patients with AD show early synaptic loss. And so this is a, a biomarker for synapse loss. And as you can see, it is nonspecific because it can be elevated in AD as well as PD, so Parkinson's disease, frontotemporal dementia, ALS, and most dramatically, actually, in CJD. So it is not by any means specific to AD, but people are looking at it because synaptic loss seems to be an early event in AD as well. So there are other biomarkers for neuronal injury. Oh, this one is looking at neurofilament light chain. So so neurofilament light chain is also a normal axonal protein. So presumably when there is axonal injury, it also leaks out into the CSF. So it can be used as a marker for neurodegeneration as well. And GFAP, the one that that's in the poll, this is a measure for neuroinflammation. Curiously, plasma GFAP is actually higher than CSF GFAP. And the reason could be because GFAP is made in astrocytes, and astrocytes normally wrap around blood vessels. So it could be that that provides a very easy route for GFAP to the blood vessel. So GFAP is actually being developed directly as a plasma biomarker. So there's still ongoing effort to look for better tau biomarkers. So Previously, we've shown that the tau gets phosphorylated in more than 20 or 30 different sites. So people are just testing these different tau phosphorylation sites to see if they can find a better marker than what we already have. So the search goes on. There's also other detection methods, and this is from my collaborator at NCCU, uh, Ben Shi's lab. And this is some idea taken from the prion field, where they use RT-quick, so quaking-induced, shaking-induced conversion. So it's detecting not specific epitodes, but, all, but just the abnormal conformation of tau, because tau can also function sort of like a prion protein, where an abnormally folded tau will serve as a template to induce the abnormal folding of other tau proteins. Okay, but this is not, this is still under development because there's many different tau isoforms, so it is a little complicated. So we're reaching almost toward the end of our talk. So I showed you earlier that currently AD is a clinical pathological entity. So the diagnosis AD is made post-mortem, and we use the distribution of plaques and tangles to stage AD. So Thalface, CRAT score, and Brock stage. And by looking at how extensively the brain is involved, we can give a stage of low AD neuropathologic change, intermediate, or high. And once we get that, we could say whether the person's dementia is likely caused by AD, or not caused by AD, or caused by AD plus another potential neuropathology. In the future, however, we would really like to be able to do this kind of staging on live patients with a combination of different biomarkers. And I think the, the idea is that we now think that preclinical AD lasts for about 15 to 20 years because this is a very slowly progressing disease. So we try to catch people in the earliest stages then we have 15 to 20 years of window for early disease-modifying treatment and see if we could 
slow down the progression to AD. So I think this is a goal, future goal for AD biomarker discovery. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the future challenge is the role of mixed pathology in dementia, because most brains in the elderly will have a combination of AD and vascular pathology, and perhaps some Lewy bodies and TTP43. So we are still far away from having a reliable biomarker for Lewy bodies and almost nothing for TTP43 and very little for um, vascular injury, except for the anatomical MRI. But this is a study done a few years ago when they looked at the combination of pathologies in elderly people with dementia. And what they call clinically as probable AD turns out that most of them have a combination of different pathologies. And really, the ones with AD only constitute just a very tiny proportion. So in the next phase of biomarker discovery, really, we need to tackle the problem of mixed pathology. Also, like to thank my collaborators, Bin Shi and Ling Wu are at NCCU, North Carolina Central University. I was trained as a neuropathologist, and I, I never really thought that I would be working on developing biomarkers or have any much to do in this field, but it's really through collaboration with Ben's lab that I learned a lot of, about biomarkers and contributed in some way to biomarker discovery. Andy Liu is a neurologist at Duke. Uh, he supplied a lot of the clinical samples that we use for our studies. And John Irvin and Aaron Connolly are my lab manager and research techs in the Neuropathology Core Lab at Duke UNC ADRC. So thank you. 